The Bitcoin Group, the American original. For over the last 10 years, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. I'd like to go and see if the screen share is working. Let's give that a try. Here we are on the Bitcoin Group 10th anniversary. My name is Thomas Hunt. Welcome to the show. Uh, we're glad that you guys are here on the middle of the day on this Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. Exactly 10 years to the day that we did the first episode of the Bitcoin Group on October 18th, 2013. A little bit of history for those of you who don't know. Originally, I had the Mad Bitcoins channel, and I'd done a handful of live shows on there. But as I checked, the Bitcoin group predated any of the live shows on the Mad Bitcoins channel. These were all from November after our October show. So to find the Bitcoin group, I had to go deep into the Mad Bitcoins archive, so deep that it looks like it's lost my place. But if you see here, I was doing Mad Bitcoins pretty good for a while. And originally, I was inspired by Davi Barker and Derek Freeman, uh, who did their own live show. And as you can see, I was on Peace News Now with Davi and Derek, and I got the idea in my head again that I could do a show that was different than Mad Bitcoins. Mad Bitcoins, as you know, is short and silly. It's fun. It's light. And it's about the day-to-day -day news. So it's really only useful that day or that week. The Bitcoin group was designed to be like the McLaughlin Group, a political show that pretty much invented modern political debate on television. Yes, that's right, people yelling at each other. Invented by McLaughlin, mastered by him and his crew, who showed up every week tirelessly for over 35 years, starting in the 1980s, continuing until Mr. McLaughlin's death in the 2010s and the 2000s. So it was an idea to bring forward good old Bitcoin group, which would be similar to McLaughlin group. At first, I aired the show live, which is to say, I think I recorded a Hangout. I recorded either a Google Hangout or a Zoom Hangout, maybe even capturing my screen, as I don't think that we had live technology then. I don't think that we could go live or we weren't confident about it. As well as you see, it wasn't just me, Thomas Hunt, hosting the show. It was mad bitcoins, and I had a green screen background with the Bitcoin group tiled behind me. Uh, at this time, I hadn't even revealed my name and still could have been anonymous. So I gave up my anonymity after a few episodes of the Bitcoin group, after talking to Adam B. Levine from Let's Talk Bitcoin, who loved the show, uh, but thought that it needed a more serious host. Uh, Mad Bitcoin's obviously being a more jokey and silly host. Uh, but the first episode was broadcast. Uh, there's a live version that was uploaded to Mad Bitcoins on October 18th, 2013. Uh, later on, there was an edited version that was uploaded to the Bitcoin Group channel. The Bitcoin Group originally had its own channel uh, before the World Crypto Network. There was the Bitcoin Group. So now let's check in on the very first episode of the Bitcoin group, uh, starring myself, Andreas Antonopoulos, Davi Barker, and Derek J. Freeman. The Bitcoin group, the American original. 
For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoin, the had hardest more sound than that. cryptocurrency. Let's talk. try again. Issue the Bitcoin group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. Issue one, Walmart and Bitcoin. If your Bitcoin is so great, why can't it be accepted in the real world? Is Bitcoin ready for the Bitcoin. rigors of checkout? Customers use their credit cards and enjoy near instantaneous transactions. Why would they wait for Bitcoin when they can soon push their carts full of RFID chips across a scanner, a process that will transform checkout? What is the... It's funny that 10 years later, we still don't have Bitcoin at Walmart. Although I was thinking about, you can get pretty close. Those uh, change uh, things that change your currency. Sometimes they have Bitcoin. Uh, other times they might have that Coinstar machine. That would kind of count as Bitcoin at Walmart. Uh, but we still are a long way from consumer adoption of Bitcoin. The future of this Bitcoin in brick and mortar retail, I ask you, Andreas Antonopoulos. I, I don't think people will use Bitcoin to buy stuff at Walmart, not for a very long time. It's, uh, it's not ready. The infrastructure isn't there. The point of sale systems aren't there. The corporate uh, structures aren't there. The legal systems aren't there. It's going to take a long time until you can pay for your groceries at Walmart with Bitcoin. And even if that time comes, it's probably going to be more like a loyalty card. So you sign up for it in advance rather than a instantaneous cash-like transaction, which is ad hoc. So nah, it's going to be a while. Derek J. I disagree strongly with Andreas. I think it's uh, just around the corner. In nine months, there will be a release of a new app for Google Glass called Glass Pay, which allows users, among other things, to uh, go shopping in a regular retail store and scan the UPCs of their items with their eyes or their phone and uh, pay with Bitcoin without even waiting in a line. So there, advantages are obvious. People prefer to use the self-checkout. This uh, removes just one more layer of the payment process. So it's only a, a matter of time, and I think that time is quick. Davi Barker. I'm in the middle of the road here. I, uh, I, I think Andreas is right. I think technologically we're not there. I think Derek is right. I think the innovations are right around the corner. It's just a matter of demand. If it becomes something that there is a strong demand for, someone will design the software and the hardware and it'll happen. And um, right now there isn't. Right now it seems like Bitcoin mostly lives online and that's okay. And Jace, you seem to disagree with Derek there. It's a great back and forth there. One taking the future side, one taking the close side. I love Derek Jay for his techno futurism, uh, but I think we got to give it to Andreas on this one. Bitcoin is still not accepted at Walmart. But what a fun topic. Uh, as you can see, the edited version of this show did make it very snappy, uh, like the original McLaughlin group, as it is in later episodes. I was one, unable to edit the show uh, to make it smaller. But we're going to jump into the future here, up uh, 49 episodes to the Bitcoin group number 50. This originally aired on December 14th, 2014. Let's check in with the Bitcoin group number 50. The Bitcoin Group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our panelists. 
Blake Anderson from Facebook.com slash GotBlake. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Bryce Wiener from BlockTech Financial. Always a pleasure. Thank you again. David Seaman from the David Seaman Hour. Hey, everybody. And I'm Thomas Hunt from Mad Bitcoins. Had to read that one off the script. Moving on to issue one. Hey, it's that Thomas Hunt guy. I've heard of him. A really interesting panel for this Bitcoin group number 50. Of course, we got my pal Blake, a uh, regular on the show. Then we've got Bryce Wiener, a bit of a foil. Bryce used to come on and tell us what was wrong with Bitcoin, what was good about altcoins. And uh, even though I disagreed with him, I really enjoyed having his opinion and having him there so that people could bounce their ideas off him and uh, maybe get a different viewpoint, uh, even though he does seem kind of like a, a tin man or a scarecrow. Then we have David Seaman from the David Seaman Hour. I know I did a great interview once with David Seaman, but it's been lost to the eras of deleted YouTube. Uh, Seaman became very much a conservative commentator, and uh, then, I don't know, kind of lost his mind. Don't know what happened to old David Seaman. Uh, same thing for Bryce Wiener. He kind of went off the reservation. I think he made his own altcoins. Uh, not my business, but very much appreciated their commentary here on the show. We're always looking for diverse and different opinions. Uh, let's look at the topics here. 76 million hacked, the FBI Silk Road evidence, Butterfly Labs again, and the U.S. military talking about Bitcoin. Let's take in just a little bit of the first topic from the Bitcoin group number 50. J.P. Morgan Chase cyber attack affects 76 million bank accounts. At first, it was just retail establishments like Home Depot, Target, and Marshalls getting hacked. But now it's one of the largest banks in the world. J.P. Morgan Chase. In this new digital age, is your money really safe in the bank? Blake Anderson. Well, I actually wrote a, uh, um, an article not that long ago on May 12th, and it was about the new age and language of value and security, and I basically predicted that something like this would happen. And it happens as a result of the fact that we have these basically zero-rate-esque information systems, which are really, really, really fast and responsive, but are really vulnerable to complete and absolute failure. And what we have here with the size of this breach here affecting this many people is we have a, a situation akin to, let's say you have a computer and you want to put Bitcoins on it. You need to know that that computer is secure, probably offline with everything that you installed on it known to you before you do so. And now you have a giant financial institution that has had their servers penetrated, these various different, you know, malfeasant parties had administrative access to what sounds like their software certification servers and in an ITIL consistent environment in Fortune 25 finance, when you have your certification system compromised, that's really bad. And to me, it would almost dictate that until there's some giant kind of uh, um, reorganization at this bank that you shouldn't put your money with this bank anymore. I would not trust them with your information. It's uh, a harsh response, but risk management warrants one. And uh, this is a big deal. I think it uh, speaks volumes for the need for Bitcoin and decentralization. And uh, It turns out that Blake was exactly correct on that. They did get into the certification servers, which means that they kind of got into the image that the computers use for all of the computers. Uh, so the error, the hacked code, went out to all their computers. So it was a very bad breach for the bank. 
financial security. Bryce Weiner. I think it's a huge deal. I mean, this is this is tremendous. This is you know, uh, seventy six million households. These are just people, and uh, you can't. I agree with Blake completely. You can't have this kind of behavior and have to trust your finance to that sort of institution simply because there is no alternative. There, there absolutely needs to be alternatives. And if anything, this is a reason for it. And, you know, uh, just because it's blockchain-based doesn't mean that it's not uh, vulnerable to the same sorts of things. Even a blockchain-based company that stores your data uh, you know, in a in any kind of traditional server, uh, can be uh, can be taken advantage of and, and have that data compromised. And when that happens, boy, that's when that's when things just get ugly. David Seaman. Yeah, these banks are uh, you know in-house ledger systems that have um, you know the technical under the hood stuff is like 30, 40 years behind where everything else in technology and in the world is at. And I think that consumers and corporations are starting to pick up on that, like just how shitty these banks are in every single respect, uh, just down, even down to the small details, the fact that they don't have any taste. Like when you go into an ATM vestibule in Los Angeles, no taste. it tends to be really hot in there if they don't pump the air conditioning in. And the second the bank closes at 5 p.m. or whatever, they stop doing that because they're cheap as fuck. And those machines get hot. And people are literally sweating like uh, something out of Dante's Inferno as they're trying to pull their little rectangles of paper out. Um, so I think this 76 million uh, headline is just more proof that these banks are um, totally incompetent and are like the DMV of uh, financial services. Some and the pretty serious criticism of banks there on the Bitcoin group number 50 aired on December 14th, 2014. And it reminds me of a little story from the first Bitcoin Group episode. I remember that Andreas also said some pretty harsh things about banks and generally just let it fly. He wasn't controlling himself, as you would see later on a CNBC interview. He was really giving you his opinions. And I remember after the show, he said to me, he said, Thomas, are, are you going to edit any of that out? Or is it, was any of that a problem? And I was like, no, I mean, did we screw up? Or was the sound no good if there was a... You know, bad section of sound, I would edit that out. But otherwise, no, I thought the content was great. And Andreas just smiled and I smiled. And I think we we're just instantly friends because we both were willing to discuss whatever we wanted to on the internet and not to edit it down or take it out if you were perhaps critical of the banks. Uh, thanks to David Seaman, Bryce Weiner, and Blake Anderson for being on the 50th episode. Let's jump forward in time to the 100th episode of the Bitcoin Group. Now on the World Crypto Network. Uh, this was aired July 8th, 2016, and looks like we had quite a big crew. So let's see what's going on on the Bitcoin Group number 100. The Bitcoin Group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our panelists, Andreas Antonopoulos, author of the book, Mastering Bitcoin. Hello. Blake Anderson from Facebook.com slash got Blake. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on the 100th episode. Theo Goodman from Hass Online. Hello, everyone. Thanks for watching 100. What's up? 
Gabriel D. Vine from Future Rant. Hello, world. Hello, prosperity. Derek J. Freeman from Flaming Freedom. Happy 100th. Tone Vase from Brave New Coin. Hi, everyone. Coming to you from Odessa, Ukraine at the BIP uh, 001 event for the Havening. Will Pangman from Airbits. Still mute. Hey everybody. <laughs> and I'm Thomas Hunt from the World Crypto Network. This week. So really an incredible panel here. Thanks to everyone for showing up for the Bitcoin Group 100th episode. Uh, truly amazing to have most of the original panelists there as well as some of the new ones. Uh, you see Tone Vase, always on the road, that guy. Uh, Odessa, Ukraine. How about that? Uh, of course, we have our old pal, Andreas Antonopoulos, who graciously appeared on the 100th episode as well. Theo Goodman, who would pretty much run the World Crypto Network for quite a while there while I was working for startups. Our good friends, Will Pangman, of course, Derek J. Freeman from the first episode. And uh, Gabriel D. Vine, always a friend of the show. And, of course, our pal, Blake. Uh, quite, a, quite a murderer's row here of Bitcoin Group panelists. We're, episode, we're celebrating episode 100 with yet another episode. Issue one, Bitcoin happening. The Bitcoin block reward will cut in half this weekend, meaning that the Bitcoin... This is surprisingly poignant. The Bitcoin happening is happening once again in 2024, and we're going to talk about it probably every week until then on the Bitcoin group. So it's neat to see us talking about this happening from 2014. Miners will now be paid 12 and a half Bitcoin for every block rather than the previous 25. The constant reduction of supply is what makes Bitcoin a deflationary currency, meaning that the value you hold in Bitcoin is always increasing in the long run because there's less currency being produced. This is the opposite of inflationary system like the US dollar, where the amount of currency is constantly being increased and the longer you hold it, the less value you have. Not too long after the last Bitcoin happening, the Bitcoin price began to skyrocket, but recently the price dipped almost to 610. Andreas Antonopoulos, your thoughts on the second Bitcoin happening? Well, uh, it's uh, a time to celebrate another successful four years and to open the next four year period. Other than that, really, uh, no one can predict what happens next. My expectation is nothing much happens. Uh, nothing really changes except we'll see a lot of volatility leading up to it and a lot of vol volatility coming out of it. Uh, I think it's, um, it's wrong to speculate that the price will increase or decrease at this point, but it will be all over the place for the next couple of weeks. Here's to another four years of Bitcoin not dying. Blake Anderson. Well, I think it's very interesting, the activity that's leading up to the happening. I mean, as you know, there's going to be a supply decrease. And Bitcoin is interesting because it's not like a stock. It's more kind of almost like a commodity. It is the digitized money or digital storage of value that you're trading instead of future earnings in the company or something like that. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the run-up has become almost kind of a, uh, um, a bull graveyard for those that are uh, trading on short horizons. They're trying to, they're getting eaten up by a lot of people that either had it priced in or are looking to uh, do swing trading. I think that after the happening, what's going to happen is the inelastic, the inelastic nature of Bitcoin is going to catch up with the situation. So when you have a commodity or a resource like gold or like silver, when it goes way, way up in value, it, it becomes worth it to run mining operations, which were not worth it before. So the supply of that thing goes up. 
that cannot happen with digital storage of value as far as Bitcoin is concerned. So that inelastic relationship that the supply is going to have towards the demand is going to be an interesting thing that I think will, will bump the price up. People knowing that that's going to happen, but not knowing when, I think, are getting mixed signals and we're seeing a lot of tumultuous uh, trades going on up to that point. But I think that uh, um, knowing in your mind that there's some, um, a macro factor that's going to uh, um, influence objectively what's going on and then investing on a long term, I think that you should be, uh, you should be fine doing that. Imagine if half the gold mines suddenly turned off tomorrow and stopped production. While we don't want to encourage speculation, I do believe the price is going up. Blake said a lot of words there, but he was right. After the halvening, which again, it doesn't happen, you know, right on the day, right on the hour or whatever, but about six months or so after the halvening, the supply got limited and the price went up. Uh, Blake just used a lot more words to say it. Let's hear from Theo Goodman. Theo Goodman. Uh, I think that I, it's going to be interesting to watch the uh, hash rate as the halvening happens and just see if it stays the same, there's a lot of discussion about that, or some people think some miners are going to shut down. Some people think uh, the hash rate is going to go up or down or change drastically. I think it'll probably stay around the same or get higher, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that too. Gabriel D. Vaughn. Well, I just wrote, uh, drew a little chart here to describe uh, an idea that I had. So basically, I think the miners are have been actually uh, smoothing out the uh, amount of Bitcoin that they've been holding. And as you can see here, it's transitioning from 25 to 12 and a half, but I don't believe that the miners are just selling all their coin all the time and just flooding the market. I think that they've been holding on to it um, and gradually decreasing so that they can smooth over this happening. And that would mean that they've been tightening for X amount of months, possibly a year, possibly six months, three months. And that means that right now, all of them are probably already averaging 18 and three quarters uh, Bitcoin per block as far as, you know, how much they're letting out onto the market. And they're going to be smoothing back, continuing down forever, however long for the next few months um, into 12 and a half. So I think we're going to see continued upward movement along with the volatility as Andreas. Derek J. Freeman. What excites me the most about the happening is how money can have these unique characteristics today. I've never heard of this happening before in the history of money. It's because it's decentralized and anyone can participate um, that we're even talking about what's going to happen afterwards. Otherwise, it would be like, what's the Fed going to say? And what are they going to control uh, centrally plan for our economy? And instead, it's a group of people that anyone can participate um, or run a minor. You know, everyone can have an input in this. And, and more people are even asking me about Bitcoin. What's this happening thing? What does it mean? And it gives an opportunity to explain one of the most important ways how Bitcoin is different from the money that most people use, fiat money, um, which is, of course, that it has a limited supply and, you know, the supply being limited. Uh, is part of what gives it, to, it its value. So this is a, a great opportunity to explain Bitcoin to new people and explain some of the unique characteristics that make it good money. It's a good point, Derek. I'm glad that the president of Bitcoin won't be putting out a hard fork to roll back the happening. Tone vase. 
Okay, so I have to um, second uh, what uh, Gabriel said. I've been saying that for over nine months, uh, that smart miners are going to ration uh, what they're selling now in order to have uh, a much smoother operation after the halvening. It also makes total sense that we had so much hashing power uh, go online the last six months because everyone is in a battle to get those last um, higher rewards per block. Um, it also, that coupled with uh, the supply uh, so constraint onto the market, because I, am, I do think that they've been selling less, uh, plus all of the hype, just uh, fear of missing out on the happening. Uh, like you said, what happened with the price last year, um, it started to go up um, fairly soon after. Uh, between all that, it made sense that it went up. I also said that after the happening, I expect the price to dip a little bit kind of like buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, and then we're, uh, after a little bump, after a little fall, um, after the happening, we should start to go back up again uh, fairly quickly. Uh, that's been my view the last nine months, and um, that's not going to change. So I'm sticking with that as well. And you're sticking to it. Will payment. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, the the price dynamics over the past couple months. Uh, the happening was coming upon us and the price was still around the 300 range. It'd be concerning, I think, for a lot of us longtime Bitcoin uh, advocates. And um, so, yeah, it, it's great that uh, I think people anticipate the supply decrease with the with the bull run that we've had this year so far. And, and you know, as, as far as um, predictions you know last time the happening happened not much happened the day or week before the day you know the week after it took you know a few weeks like six to twelve weeks for action to really get going jackson and and boy did it ever um you know in like march of 2013 and then again later that year as well i i think we're gonna see a mirror of that we've seen so many patterns repeat in bitcoin that are really really compelling patterns um, and I expect we may see vacillation between this range of like six to 700 or something, uh, maybe tighter range than that. Uh, before we, you know, we reach a uh, thousand, maybe some resistance around a thousand. And I think we'll get to 2000 and people will talk about how quickly that happened. Um, you know, much like people talked a few weeks ago, how quickly Bitcoin blazed through the 500s. Uh, so I'm excited. Uh, you know, su uh, supply contractions are um, in, in this case, a good thing. And uh, yeah, so Vic, we're going to learn, we've learned a lot of lessons in the last seven and a half years. And I think people are putting these lessons to work and we're seeing lots of innovation, lots of development um, related to money and otherwise uh, around Bitcoin and not just like, you know, these other meta protocols, but, but around Bitcoin itself. People are kind of coming back to that realization after maybe um, getting a, tr a little dose of the uh, Andreas Antonopoulos Roadshow and uh, learning a thing or two. So, um, so that's good to see. I think the happening brings attention back to Bitcoin and away from some of these other experimental protocols that are less battle tested. I had, I had a good question really quick. For Incredible panel, great thoughts about the happening and nothing that they said there is untrue today. We still are approaching a happening. We still believe the happening effect of on, will happen on the price but we don't think it'll be right on the day. It'll probably take some time afterwards. And again, we can only look at previous happenings to see what the effect has been. Uh, thanks again to Will, Tone, Derek, 
Gabriel Divine, Theo, Blake, and Andreas, an incredible panel for the Bitcoin group number 100, which was filmed in 2016. Let's flash forward into the future to the Bitcoin group number 150, created six years ago on July 14th, 2017. The sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency. The Bitcoin Group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our panelists, Aaron Van Weirdem from Bitcoin Magazine. Hello. Kyle Torpy from kyletorpy.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Tone Vase from Liberty Life Trail. Hey, everyone. Uh, back in the U.S. from Canada, over in Lake George. And I'm Thomas Hunt from the World Crypto Network. Moving on to issue one. It's funny, people moving all over the place. Clearly, I'm in my San Francisco apartment here, so I've moved to the city. Tone is at Lake George, just back from Canada. Always on the move, that guy. And we have kind of some Bitcoin authors here with us with Aaron Van Weirdem and Kyle Torpy. These are the guys that wrote some of the best Bitcoin columns uh, over the last 10 years, really covering the news. Uh, great to see them as guests on this Bitcoin group, number 150. Issue one, Alpha Bay takedown. A massive law enforcement operation spanning three countries has shut down the legendary dark market known as Alpha Bay. Accessible only via Tor, at its height, Alpha Bay served more than 300,000 listings, more than 20 times the size of the Silk Road, with a daily volume of more than $800,000. The United States and Canada both attempted extradition for one of the alleged administrators, Alexander Causes, but he was found hanged in his Bangkok jail cell in an apparent suicide. Aaron Von Weirdem, have we seen the end of dark market activities on the interwebs? Is the government's long nightmare over? Absolutely, yeah. This, is, uh, this was it. Show's over. No one's going to take any drugs anymore at all. All of the heroin addicts done, done. This was it. It's, that thick it's about to be That's all we had to do. It's over. <laughs> Clear cut case. That was a. Uh, everyone go home. Yeah, no, it's a uh, you know just a drug war all over again. Game we've seen for decades. Now it's moved online. They bust one guy. There's. Nothing's going to change. There's going to be new, you know, unless people literally stop taking drugs, which is not going to happen. Or unless people don't want to buy it online anymore, which is not going to happen. It's just going to, it's just going to continue. Nothing will change. Uh, law enforcement agencies will have a job. Drug dealers will have a job. No one wins. It seems like they tried to shut down Amazon.com. A new one's just going to pop up in another country. People like buying stuff online. They're not going to stop. Good stuff. Let's go. They're obviously not going to stop. They're going to get probably going to get better at it. They're going to be, you know, they're going to learn from the lessons that need to be learned. I assume um, that's it. That's all. There, there's no change. Just going to be 
another big drug market. It's so so pointless. You must. It's got to be frustrating for the investigators. They do all their work. They get their man. They bring it down. Nothing changes. I mean, it, maybe it's frustrating for them in a way. But on the other hand, this is how they make their money. Uh, you know, on to the next. They still got a job. They they get a pat on the shoulder, maybe a race if they're lucky, and you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, in general, I'm I'm all for ending the drug war. That's my position because you're not gonna stop this at all. And just same same story online, not gonna stop at all. They're just pushing I mean, that if, rock back up that hill. If anything, to... if anything, that the better criminals are gonna you know take over and just gonna be a worse situation for everyone. That's it. Let's go to Kyle Torpy. Will the next dark market be harder to stop? Yeah, I definitely agree with Aaron when he's talking about the markets are just going to get more advanced and it's not going to stop. There's already, there's two marketplaces I saw. There's an article that Deep.Web put up where they went through all the other popular markets now besides Alphabet. And it seems that there's one called Hansa Market and there's another one called Dream Marketplace. And it seems they're both like equally as popular outside of Alphabet. So I think a lot of people are going to just switch over to those two. And the thing about Hansa Market is that it requires all of their users to use multi-sig. So they're trying to set up a situation where they can't exit scam. And this is something that me and Tone talked a little bit about last week where uh, he was talking about you don't really need Open Bazaar or something like that. And it, this kind of goes to his point where you can just set up like a multi-sig centralized marketplace and have people use that. And I mean, there's there's still instances where they can take money when you first, because I was looking into it a few days ago, when you first make a deposit on their site, it goes to like a wallet controlled by them. And then from there, it goes to a two of two with the buyer and the seller. So there's still that like intermediary territory where they could do something, but it's a lot, it's kind of like shapeshift where they can't really, they can only steal the amount that's being traded at that time. Uh, and I guess it also, Everyone kind of thought that Alphabet was Russian, but I guess we found out that that was not the case, which I thought was interesting. It's interesting to see they try a two of two escrow. I know Open Bazaar uses a, a two of three, right, with a third party. It's kind of yeah. an anonymous escrow or something. They do two of two by default, just I think just because it's easier for people who aren't used to multi-sigs because I think a, a lot of other sites have multi-sig integration but no one uses it because it's like confusing and they don't understand it or they just don't want to use it but they also have a two of three option if if the uh, buyer wants to use that but it's optional it's interesting each time one of these huge dark markets go down we have a mini lesson on how to deal with one of your competitors suddenly going out of business there's a rush of business to the other sites we've even seen some sites that just shut down like when the silk road went down there was a, another silk road type site that just gave up they're like there's gonna be too much traffic we're getting overloaded our database is getting slammed we don't know how to handle this and we're out uh, it's an interesting lesson for dark marketeers We've got around 212 live viewers. If everyone could give us a thumbs up and a share, that helps more people find the show. And now, Tone Vays, your thoughts on Alpha Bay. 
Yeah, that was, um, I, I think, a few weeks ago when they went down and they came back. And I said, oh, it looks like they might be, you know, good for a little while. Clearly, I was wrong. Uh, that, that was just last week. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's funny is how uh, Kyle now mentions how I brought up maybe the, there is no use case for Open Bazaar. You know what? Maybe there is a use case for Open Bazaar, right? Maybe people will go to Open Bazaar for security. So I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 on that. Um, it is probably complicated. Um, the competitors are definitely getting a lot of, uh, you know, the competitors are starting to get overwhelmed. And uh, look, they don't get back. They'll, um, they'll find a way to fix the mistakes. I mean, this isn't really going anywhere. Uh, just a couple of comments. Um, like, I would question that suicide. That, I don't know. Like, I, I think if, if a more thorough investigation on a suicide gets done, um, I don't know. I just don't see it. I mean, you already have a precedent with Ross Uber going away for life. But, like, I don't know. It's just... To me, it feels like whoever that was wasn't the main guy, even though he was making, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and there is always a bigger fish. And that bigger fish might not have wanted to be identified. And when you're in a third country and you get arrested and you're in one of those prisons, probably doesn't take much to, um, to get something fixed. Uh, so I would, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be doing that investigation. I don't know if the authorities will. But, I mean, I would kind of question that. Um, like, there's really not much else to say. I mean, the, the space has dealt with this before. It'll deal with it again. Another major site is going to rise to the top, and they're going to take over most of the volume. I mean, this just reminds me of the Napster and the music downloads. Um, I remember, like, after Napster went down, it was a disaster. Um, I was using Kaza for a while. Oh, I heard people were using Kaza for a while. And then LimeWire and BearShare. It was, um, I mean, it, it was a free-for-all. There was nothing good until Torrent came out. So maybe someone will come up with a really good system that you just can't shut down. And uh, we're just going to... Excellent Napster analogy there by Tone. Also some interesting action going on behind Tone. I don't know what guy... What's going on there? They're working on the pool and they have electrical power tools right near the pool. So very cool discussion. Thanks to Aaron, uh, Kyle and Tone for joining us on Bitcoin group number 150. It's also neat. It mentions here the Bitcoin sign guy. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the picture really quick. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> the guy who held up the Bitcoin sign behind Janet Yellen at the Federal Reserve and a really fun story. I got to meet the Bitcoin sign guy at uh, one of these Bitcoin conferences out there. So pretty cool story. Uh, let's move on into the future to the Bitcoin group number 200 streamed four years ago on May 10th, 2019. A Bitcoin group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our panelists, Ben from Wales. Joy. Dan Eve, the Crypto Raptor. Ben without a beard, he looks so young. Max Hillebrand from TowardLiberty.com. Oh no, the, the Bitcoin will destroy the US dollar. Kill it, kill it with fire. 
And I'm oh, Thomas Hunt from the World Crypto the Network. Moving on to issue one. Issue one, $40 million hacked. Binance, the little ICO that could, was hacked this week for more than 7,000 Bitcoin, leaving Coinbase as the only major exchange without a penetration. The company said a variety of methods were used to carry out the large-scale security breach and that they would cover the incident in full with no user funds affected. However, it's not just the hack, but Binance's response that is making waves throughout the cryptocurrency industry. For a brief moment after the hack, Binance actually proposed rolling back the Bitcoin chain to recover the stolen funds. Ben from Wales. I, I remember that. That was hilarious. They thought they could roll back the chain. <laughs> I ask you, did Binance make a minor error, racked with grief over the loss of $40 million, or did they show their true colors as yet another group of profiteers, carpetbaggers, who care nothing for the values of Bitcoin and only care about making money? Yeah, well, I mean, they're a company, um, they're an exchange, so you know that that the reason for them be for their being is is to make money. So, so yeah, so that that is their their primary interest. But um, obviously, if your exchange gets hacked and then you lose all your customers and you don't make any money, so one of the benefits and the upsides of all these exchanges being hacked is that um, exchanges hopefully will then uh, pay more attention to uh, development time and. Um, securing their bitcoins. I think the most concerning part was um, not the the suggestion of the rollbacks. That's just ridiculous and absurd. It was um, Binance saying that there were sort of multiple uh, ways, so breaching 2FA and blah blah blah, in which the hackers got access to people's accounts. Um, so it clearly wasn't one attack vector. It's that the whole ship's leaky. Um, and then yeah, of course the the, the ridiculous statement of, of suggesting to roll back the uh, the the blockchain. It kind of it either shows sort of just, just I don't know, just complete naivety on how Bitcoin works. Or, I mean, there was part of me which thought that maybe they're trying to show the customers that they're, they're willing to do anything, you know, they're willing to even risk Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain, just to, just to you know, save their funds. There was part of me which kind of thought that, and it was, it was more a virtue signal to their customers. Um, but I think uh, I saw an, a, a, a post by Greg Maxwell on Reddit, and that was pretty good. And, uh, and in here, he said that um, that he wondered why uh, when MT Gox was hacked, that that wasn't one of the things they suggested was to roll back the blockchain. And although it's absurd, um, uh, obviously these things do need to be talked about um, so people can be certain that obviously you know it it, it can't possibly happen. Uh, but I I, I I I personally don't think that they were trying to give confidence to their customers. I think it was more. Um, that they uh, they just don't know what they're talking about, and they they thought that it was you know feasible to be able to roll back the blockchain. Um, uh, another good thing Greg Maxwell says in his post actually, it's a really good Reddit post. It's well worth a read. Um, is that if they did um, offer to pay the miners to roll back the the the, the blockchain because um, it would it, you know they they would be able to make money on the money which they saved, then the hackers could just do a counter offer and it would cost them a hell of a lot less, um, and they've got more funds. Because they, they, their counteroffer would be just to not roll back the blockchain, and they give them like ten million for just sitting idle. So um, even if you know all the miners were to collude to to break and destroy Bitcoin, uh, which wouldn't happen. Um, so it's all it's all a bunch of hypothetical wouldn't happens. But even if it even if it were to happen, then the hackers just just turn around and bribe them anyway. So there's a mechanism there. Um, uh, in that same post as well, um, he spoke about uh, 
Luke Dash Jr., he's got some sort of countermeasures, a BFG miner, um, which is a, a way in which miners can automatically switch to, um, if, uh, if, 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 um, if they're going to, uh, if they're going um, uh, to, to prevent them rolling back, they could automatically get the miners to switch to other pools or something. I need to look into it a little bit more. It's called BFG miners, well worth a, a research. And Greg Maxwell says that it's a countermeasure which we don't need because it's never going to happen, but um, to have those some countermeasures um, just to make the debate or the, the topic even more absurd is probably a good thing. Um, so, yeah, so you know, the, hopefully um, they'll be encouraged to, to, to hire some, some developers um, and, um, and just secure, secure Binance more. Um, uh, and it'll encourage other exchanges to do the same. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. But, yeah. It's an excellent point that they could have brought this up when Mt. Gox was hacked. There was less people involved in Bitcoin. We hadn't seen the Ethereum rollback yet. Uh, people might have even gone for it. Uh, unlike the Binance hack, the Mt. Gox hack did cause the price of Bitcoin to go down. I want to say at least 30 to 50%. It seemed like it was a major move, the kind of thing that people were expecting after this Binance hack, uh, but didn't happen. Dan Eve, the Crypto Raptor. It's neat to see my... Uh... Las Vegas set there. Uh, the best part I like is the books and the Maltese Falcon, which I did purchase in Malta. I don't know if it's the original Falcon. There are about eight to ten different people who could have swapped it out uh, while I brought it home, uh, including people in uh, baggage handling, roommates, hotel clerks, all kinds of people who could have taken the Falcon and made a copy. Uh, but it's very cool, the deep focus of the camera. You can read a lot of the titles on my shelf, and you can see the, uh, the incredible penthouse uh, background that there is a, just a background today is a green screen. So funny side notes there. Dan Eve, the Crypto Raptor. You're muted. Go ahead. Got to unmute yourself. <laughs> um, my dogs are missioning around in the background. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think... Although I've had a bit of a jibe about, you know, could have changed the laws of physics, but I decided not to. Um, I, the, I, I really respect Binance. He's, 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 um, he's like, you know, he's come from a long way in a couple of years. He's trying to be respectable. Um, and I think he's trying to look good, whether, on, you know, you believe that he's up to no good on, the, you know, at the end of the day, he look, at least look, it looks like they're trying. Um, uh, and I think that it could have almost been not... Um, not not cry for help, but just almost, you know, wanting to show everyone that he, you know, that they'll do whatever it takes. And I think that the difference between season finances, uh, you know, um, managing uh, Binance as a company and say, you know, someone else in the in, a, in the real world, you know, the CEO of another big company is that they don't actually have to pander. Um, CZ Binance doesn't, I don't know, pounders to shareholders because the, the, the network effect is from their coin and the people using it and the people using their exchange. So, um, yeah, I think that he probably was just panicking, didn't know what to do, was trying to say the right thing, and obviously came across as something really quite silly. And remember, for all these hacks, the simplest explanation is that they robbed themselves. We have no information about that, but no one can really prove that the coins weren't sent to a hacker or they were sent to an inside job or the CEO knew about it or someone else knew about it. Uh, all these exchanges are black boxes. So when they get hacked, we don't know if they were hacked or if they were hacked. Max Hillebrand. Wait, 
not, not your keys, not your Bitcoin is more than just an empty slogan. Oh no, if, if just someone would have told me to not put my money on third party exchanges. Oh, the, what a tragedy. I mean, that's nothing new, right? Uh, and the chain rollback, although it's kind of hilarious that he proposes this like three days after it happens with so much accumulated proof of work that as Dan has said, he would literally have to change the laws of, unit, of the universe uh, just to get his money back, or well, his customer's money back. Uh, so yeah, that's just not going to happen. But in general, a reorganization or just a rollback can, ha can happen. Uh, and you can have several market uh, mechanisms here. And I think it's quite interesting to explain. So, so what we have here, right, on, on block 100, the coins are still in the UTXO uh, of Binance. And then block 101, uh, they, uh, or let's say block 105, then the attacker uh, makes the transaction, right, and sends it to his own funds. This is one transaction in block 105. So what if immediately afterwards, where we are exactly at 105, so almost no proof of work, uh, if Binance would just say, okay, here I propose a transaction uh, with a, uh, M no, that isn't M lock time, that is, uh, what is the other, uh, I forget it, there's, there's one, one command where the, the transaction has to be included in a block before that uh, number. So they could say it has to be, the transaction has to be in a block before 105. So for example, then a miner would have to build a, a block 104 that includes the transaction from Binance sending their hot wallet's funds back to themselves with a different secure cold storage wallet, right? And that transaction can only be in there at block 104. So miners have to mine on top of 103 uh, to actually get that valid block. And of course, miners wouldn't just do that for no reason, but actually uh, he, they would have to, or ZZ would have to give them a, some type of reward, right? Uh, and preferably not just one miner, but all of the miners. And uh, so what I was thinking, what might be an interesting idea would to put in block 104, a transaction with n lock time of let's say a thousand blocks, right? A week worth or something. Uh, and then uh, you spend that or you, you give that money to the addresses of the like 10 of the largest mining pools. Uh, so you, you, you tell the miners, you have to include this transaction before the hacked transaction. And if you do so, I will give you each, I don't know, 10,000 Bitcoin or well, 1,000 Bitcoin or something, but you can only spend it on that chain after 1,000 blocks. And I think that would be uh, somewhat decent to incentivize miners to reorg the chain from 104, uh, 105 to 103 to then build a new 104 block with the Binance transaction, not the hacked one, uh, so that they then get paid a week later. That might be something. Of course, on the other hand, uh, we are talking about 7,000 Bitcoin, right? The attacker can do the exact same thing. He can also say uh, that, okay, this is block 105, and I include in the transaction that pays back me, I include a transaction to the 10 largest mining pools with end lock time of 1,000. And, and he can, for example, go up to like 6,500 Bitcoin and burn that much on fees. He would still get back 500 Bitcoin, pretty profitable. Uh, so he has much more way to lose money uh, because, well, it's not his money in the first place. And with a stolen loot, you, if you, even if you give up 99% of your loot, you're still profitable, or well, probably because you still have some marginal return. Uh, and uh, a really great talking through of the possibilities of rolling back the Bitcoin chain there by Max Hillebrand. Very interesting stuff, especially the game theory that the hacker could pay them just as much or more than Binance could. Then they could uh, not reorg the chain, but just 
you know, put in the transaction of the hacker. So very cool stuff. Back from Bitcoin group number 200. Thanks to Max, Dan, and Ben for being my guests on this show. As you can see at this point, I'd started to travel to European Bitcoin conferences, making friends in the European theater. And we have Max from Germany, Dan from Southampton, and Ben from Wales. Uh, so we're really mixing it up here and truly becoming the world crypto network. Let's go forward to episode number 250 that was streamed two years ago on March 19th, 2021. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our... The Bitcoin Group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our panelists, Dan Eve, the Crypto Raptor. The Bitcoin Group. Martine Wismer from General Bytes. What's up, guys? Josh Shigala from Voltoro. Uh, unmute yourself. Cheers. Oh, God. Bring it on. All right. Moving on to issue one. Issue one. Oh, we need to do this one more time. Issue one. Morgan Stanley becomes the first big U.S. bank to offer its wealthy clients access to Bitcoin funds. The investment. This seems like such a big deal. Uh, starting out with Bitcoin, no one would accept it. People were getting their bank accounts closed because they were purchasing it legally at Coinbase and other places like that. People were having their bank accounts flagged and frozen, all kinds of things. And then here at Bitcoin Group 250 in 2019 to have Morgan Stanley offer it. Uh, but of course, only to their wealthy clients. Investment Bank told its financial advisors Wednesday in an internal memo that it is launching access to three funds that enable the ownership of Bitcoin. Two of the funds on offer are from Galaxy Digital, a crypto firm founded by Mike Novogratz, while the third is a joint effort from asset manager FS Investments and Bitcoin company NYDIG. Morgan Stanley is only allowing its wealthier clients access to Bitcoin, the volatile asset. The bank considers it suitable for people with an aggressive risk tolerance who have at least $2 million in assets held by the firm. Investment firms need at least $5 million at the bank to qualify for the new stakes. Dan Eve, will you be buying Bitcoin on Morgan Stanley? Oh, I don't think I'm quite at the level to, to, to meet their criteria for the clientele. Um, I, I can kind of, I, I can see why they, you know, they've been a bit re resistant. Um, obviously, with the huge gains comes huge losses. And, and obviously, uh, investors are always attracted to the huge gains. And then uh, the huge losses, I think we all know that it takes a long time to, to lose like 40% of your portfolio in a day and just be totally chill with it. 
Whereas if you're a big investor and like, you know, you're putting your, your money in, uh, they're going to be phoning up their account managers at Morgan Stanley going like, someone turn the Bitcoin machine off before it goes down even further. You know, they don't understand these things and they probably don't read up on them. They just see, you know, number go up, money go up. And, uh, and then, you know, they get the FOMO. They, they, they fear it, they, they've missed out. They try and jump to leap for the boat, but the boat's already left shore. And then they probably sell because they panic that it's not going to go back up. And eventually it goes back up. I think I saw a stat the other day that, uh, that said, like, um, it was something like 92% of people who bought Bitcoin are in, I don't know what the number is, are in, are in profit. You know, it's just, it's, it's insane. Uh, as a as a figure, but you know, Bitcoin just keeps on reaching all time highs after a, a long period. And let's face it, the Nasdaq took like what was it fifteen years or something to reach an all time high after the two thousand bubble pop. So at least with Bitcoin, those cycles are a lot shorter. And uh, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully it uh, paves the way for more companies easing into Bitcoin uh, lightly. I think the real reason it took Morgan Stanley this long to offer Bitcoin is a staffing issue they just didn't want to staff up for this uh bitcoin thing because it goes overnight and it goes on the weekend so basically you had to hire a whole second round of stockbrokers. you had a whole second round of telephone support people you had to change all those messages were only available from nine to five it really kind of breaks the whole fun of being a banker which is you don't have to work that much you can work bankers hours right you can have bankers holidays uh bitcoins out there just defying all that and it kind of wrecks why you'd want to be a banker in the first place martin wismayer why do you think it took morgan stanley so long and are you excited that they're finally offering bitcoin to people with only five million dollars i um i don't know why it took so long but i think they eventually started selling it because their clients demanded it uh, they're one of the world's largest private banks. That means like high net worth individuals and upwards. And uh, I recently looked at this like three weeks ago. And the statistics say that from the ultra high net worth, that's people with $30 million of spendable income, uh, i.e. not including their houses and their cars, but like really like cash in a bank ready to spend on whatever they want. Uh, oh, of those uh, ultra high net worth people, of which many will bank with Morgan Stanley, 1% um, already has cryptocurrency assets. So it's more that the pressure became too big on Morgan Stanley to keep ignoring it. I think if it would be up to them, they would just play the old banker's game and would totally ignore Bitcoin, but it's just their clients demand it. And if they don't do it, somebody else will and they'll leave. So I think that's the reason. Just as the prophecy foretold, Josh Shigala, Morgan Stanley, Bitcoin's new best friend. Should we expect a Michael Saylor-like tweet soon? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, the thing is that I'm I'm waiting for the big institute one, the first big institution to be hacked because they don't know what the heck they're doing. And um, uh, you know, I, I, the thing is, I think they'll be using uh, people that do know what they're doing, like Coinbase. Uh, something like that uh, first. But uh, th the other thing that I think about Morgan Stanley is maybe they're just too, uh, they're, uh, how do I put this politely? Uh, arrogant, I guess, <laughs> the best polite way I could put it, uh, to, to, to sort of realize that they don't know what they're doing uh, in this space and that 
they will probably try to get greedy and then they'll go into fractional reserve and then they'll be in a bull market and all of a sudden people will say, well, you know, we're pulling out and they won't have it all there. And it could actually, this sort of currency that, that escalates so much uh, could actually break someone like Morgan Stanley, uh, believe it or not, uh, or they get hacked, you know, so um, we'll wait and see what happens. I, I really don't, I really don't hope so, but uh, I just think that some of these institutions are so arrogant um, that uh, they, uh, this sorts of stuff sort of happens, happens to arrogant folk. I agree with my interesting call to the future there from Josh. Not sure we've seen that happen yet, but there is still a possibility of someone rehypothecating Bitcoin. That is to say, you deposit 100 Bitcoin into their exchange, but they sell 200 Bitcoin. Now they're 100 Bitcoin in the hole, and if the price went up and people wanted them, if there was a run on their bank, they'd have to go buy them and probably pay more. <clears throat> a great show there. Good to see Martine, Josh, and Dan helping out kind of the new crew these days, along with Ben and a few others. Skipping ahead to the Bitcoin group number 300, which was streamed a year ago on March 18th, 2022. Getting very much into the future here with the Bitcoin group number 300. The Bitcoin Group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our panelists, Adam McBride, NFT archaeologist. What's up, everyone? Michael Dupree from EasyBit. Yeah, unmute yourself. Hello, everyone. Great to be on the 300th episode. Oh, my God. Uh, Mike Dupree from Easy Bit here in Acapulco. Great to see everyone. Dan Eve, the Crypto Raptor. This is Bitcoin. Martin Wishmare from General Bytes. Howdy ho. And I'm Thomas Hunt from the World Crypto Network. Moving on to issue one. Issue one, Bitfinex. BitMEX founder predicts gold rising to 10K, Bitcoin marching to $1 million. The price of Bitcoin has been down lately while the price of gold has been up. But now they're saying that both gold and Bitcoin could skyrocket. Adam McBride, everyone loves the price of Bitcoin. It's always a popular episode when we predict the price. Uh, some of our most watched shows are ones where it says, Bitcoin 1 million, question mark. Bitcoin 104,389, question mark. YouTube's funny that way. Bitcoin, what can you tell us about the price? Well, you see, if you read that article, really nice article, actually. Um, what, he, what he puts in it is basically... We're talking about Arthur Hayes, right? And I mean, yeah, this guy is read... a brilliant, brilliant man. Yep, he certainly is. And he, he made a really interesting point, which is like, look, the world's seeing now, individuals are seeing that these governments aren't necessarily to be trusted, right? Uh, truckers in Canada, they'll take your bank account. No, no, like court order, just grab it, right? And with the Russians, um, government's money being frozen uh, through the SWIFT network and this sort of stuff, 
he's his kind of point was like look now countries around the world are seeing that their assets can be frozen so they're going to look to diversify and, and the places to diversify are gold and bitcoin i, I think that putin is uh, also seizing uh, biden's assets but evidently <laughs> biden is a junior and so they're seizing his dead father's assets at this point was on the uh, on the list but yeah Yep. So I, 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 the, the theory, it's an interesting one. I hadn't thought about that, about the, that, that carryover or what kind of a precedent's been set. Um, and, and it's an interesting theory. Who knows if it'll happen? But if it does, if these kind of countries start moving into Bitcoin as a store of value or something, oh my God, forget it. It's crazy time. I think the bigger problem for us is if they move away from the SWIFT network, which the United States basically controls and they create their own, then, uh, that's going to be a big problem for us, but we're getting off talk, uh, off topic. I apologize. Mike Dupree, your thoughts on Bitcoin and if governments could use it as a store of value. I don't know. Like, uh, El Salvador is certainly trying to, and, uh, I was down there a few months ago at the conference talking about anti-money laundering and these kind of things. And I'm really excited, uh, with the ideas that they're, uh, trying to execute, but, it's a bit disconcerting at points whether or not they're going to actually fuck it up and make Bitcoin look bad, uh, for lack of better words. So it's not as easy as it looks necessarily. But I, I think that governmental involvement is in Bitcoin is good. But I think that El Salvador has the potential to have fractional reserve Bitcoin since they only allow a lightning network within their uh, ATMs and their exchanges, for example. So I'm just I think the jury is really still out over there. Dan, Eve, Bitcoin to $1 million. Again, just like 50 episodes ago, we're talking about the possibility of rehypothecation of Bitcoin. Everyone knows there's only 21 million Bitcoin. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. But if you deposit your Bitcoin into an exchange like Coinbase or Binance, could be any of these exchanges, and the exchange decides to sell more Bitcoin than they have which is a common practice, I think, with stocks, with dollars, with all kinds of other things, and the banks just borrow more and cover it and hope there's not a bank run. With Bitcoin, with a limited supply of 21 million, especially with events like the halvening coming up here in 2024, it could be very dangerous for these banks if they choose not to have enough Bitcoin on hand and they face a run or they're forced to show their reserves, or they're forced to go and buy those Bitcoin on the early on the open market. At certain times, it could be very difficult for them to get back to equal there. Well, I think so, and, and uh, you know, eventually, I, I think uh, maybe not in in, in the short term. Um, but you know, the the the, the gold situation is getting crazy. It's near a, another all time high. You've got China and Russia have been stacking gold for a few few years now. In the UK, uh, just over 20 years ago, Gordon Brown sold off uh, like almost half of uh, the UK's gold and, uh, and got a, a measly $275 an ounce. So it's kind of another Bitcoin pizza sort of situation where uh, he sold it for $3.5 billion versus about $16.7 billion now, which is crazy. Um, but um, the, yeah, I, I, I think that Bitcoin's on its way up. Um, obviously, we're in a bit of a in a bit of a, a kind of a sideways market at the moment, but there's there seems to be you know hints of another uh, bunch of uh, uh, checks coming right. And, you know, um, uh, 
stimulus checks coming in from the US. And we all know what happened last time, a bunch of them were actually used to, to buy Bitcoin, which is obviously really cool. Um, but the general article- It's kind from, of ironic that our United States ATM average transaction is currently $1,200. I know the stimulus checks ah. were at age, ages ago, but literally right now it's still 1200 average. But that could be because people literally were saving those checks. Like, I'm going to save this check for a rainy day because it's not in my account and therefore it can't be taken out by direct debit or whatever. So they'll save that stimulus check. And now they're finally thinking, oh, actually, they're printing so much of this, I might as well put it into Bitcoin. Because remember what happened last time? They bought the they bought Bitcoin with the stimulus checks when it was what like nine thousand dollars or something in 2020, and it's now 40, you know, and, and was 68. Um, but yeah, it does seem like the the US dollars kind of could potentially, you know, is losing its hold right now. Even like you know, Saudi Arabia wants to sell oil in 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 uh, Chinese yuan. Um, Russia uh, to India um, oil exports that India is kind of crossing um, over currency instead of the US dollar. Um, so it's kind of almost setting the stage for the for the Chinese yuan as a as the digital dollar, right? That which is what they've been kind of working at right now. And this kind of this turmoil and the sanctions on Russia. Um, you know, Russia is still selling their oil. It's just going through different sort of avenues. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously they've got other other issues with their assets frozen. But like I read that, um, that rather than, you know, obviously Europe, US just cutting off the, the oil supply from Russia, it's being sold elsewhere. And then that's being sold at a premium back to the US and, and, and other other areas and the, and the Europe, Europe. So um, it's finding a way to get get back because at the end of the day there is uh, a dependence on on energy on russia they're the biggest what, energy what do you think about though like elon saying uh hey like america wake up we need to start well, producing right. more of our own oil that but yeah well very sensible because as much of you know the guy the, the fact is you know, i kind of respect uh, he's, he has some crazy stuff but um i respect him that their tesla's um technology is open source so if anyone can do it better you know he wants sustainable energy ultimately and so he we knows don't mind that, if he revolutionizes the energy economy we just don't want him promoting doggy coin and such and fucking around with our financial markets <laughs> that's right exactly. no no doggy coin no doggy coin but i think that, that you know if you if you haven't had a chance to read the article i think he, he pretty much summarizes with a really poetic little finish which is Remember this, you own nothing. You merely rent your net worth, both as an individual or sovereign, a sovereign from the entity that operates that centralized permission fiat di uh, digital monetary network, you know, referring to SWIFT and co. Um, and so, you know, the, the fact is that, that, again, going back to this whole premise of if you don't own your private keys, you don't own your Bitcoin and your money's in other people's hands right now. Your money's That's in, the in issue bank. in El Salvador with the Chivo network. You don't hold your keys, thus you don't own your Bitcoin. Yeah, because it's not, it's kind of, they're using a permission, permission lightning network, right? It's not a, it's not people running their own notes. So yeah, yeah own correct. keys, And it own all Bitcoin. has to be administrated through the government. So it's, uh, it's free and they allow you to interchange, but uh, it's not really your own private keys. There you go. Like so, Bitcoin is bringing a lot of freedom there to El Salvador. Oh, yeah. uh, moving on to Martin, maybe Russia will trade their oil for Bitcoin. Only 21 million units, quite a collectible still. I don't know. I read the article and, you know, every time somebody wants attention, they just add an extra zero to the projected Bitcoin price. Um, so, yes, he's obviously very, very smart man, but... Uh, 
Yeah, and even if the more if, zeros you add, the smarter you get. Just yeah, and if you add the most zeros, you'll end up in Forbes or something. So uh, it's it's it. I don't know. Uh, every time I see that, say sure, eventually the Bitcoin will be worth maybe one million, but by that time it's just enough to buy a cheeseburger at McDonald's. So uh, you know because the inflation is catching up too. I'm not really, I, I'm not really impressed by those projections. And yes, sure. Uh, the prices are going up and uh, Russia uh, apparently is one of the world's largest gold producers, but uh, they can't access half of their gold. So I'm really curious, where is their gold stored? Not in Russia itself then, did they give the gold to the Swiss or what happened here? You know, I'm, and that's, you know, I couldn't find that information. I tried researching it, but it's uh, nobody knows where the Russian gold is. Maybe it's in Putin. It's probably in a, Josh in a has confiscated it in Voltoro. I think that it is really important to note, though, that in the previous years when Arthur has made these predictions, he's actually very, very smart. Like I met him probably seven or eight years ago. I don't know exactly when in Hong Kong. And he's just like he's not someone that doesn't know his math and his numbers. So I know that everyone, anyone can say, oh, gold's going to 10K and Bitcoin's going to a million and whatever else. But I feel like Arthur actually has a finger on the pulse and BitMEX is not a small exchange and some of the things they've done are really cool. Uh, so I wouldn't uh, underestimate his opinion. He's been right many times in the oh, past. If you look it's back. just that there is no Bitcoin to $1 million predicted by Arthur Hayes of BitMEX on March 18th, 2022. Uh, hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting. Thanks to Martine, Mike Dupree, Dan and uh, Adam McBride for showing up for Bitcoin group number 300. Great to see the crew. Uh, great to see what's going on. And then not too long ago, about seven months ago on March 17th, 2023, the Bitcoin group number 350. Let's check that one out. The Bitcoin Group, the American original. For over the last 10 seconds, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. We'd like to welcome our panelists, Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister. Count that like button, baby. Adam McBride from Emblem Vault. What's up, guys? Happy to be here again. And I'm Thomas Hunt from the World Crypto Network. Moving on to issue one. Issue one, crypto rallies into the weekend. Bitcoin heads for its best week since early 2021. While earlier in the week, it seemed like a bank crisis might kill Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Now, the price is soaring with Bitcoin hitting almost 26,000 and Ethereum over 1,700. Adam McBride, what do you think about the recent takeoff of Bitcoin and others? I don't think it matters uh yeah right when you're in the, when you're holding bitcoin you're in it for forever right who cares that it's get a little bump right now um i think you know bank stuff it's funny because it, there really hasn't been great correlation between you know the economy going bust and bitcoin i mean by all rational measure bitcoin should be at a hundred thousand right now so it's not rational at all and if you're a bitcoin or you're holding you're fine and just you know chill just relax it's a great time for everyone to pound that like button. 
Here's Adam Meister. What do you think about Bitcoin price these days? Well, I'm happy about it. I'm a positive man. Uh, I think uh, the, the macro environment still plays a role in the price of Bitcoin to a certain extent. And what we're seeing that all those macro heads out there are, are, are happy that a bailout happened. So since the, the free money is flowing, the bailouts are flowing, that means we can, they can take some more risks, the 80 percenters out there. And thus they're, they're buying the Bitcoin. It's, it's cool to buy the Bitcoin again because banks are getting bailed out. And that means happy times are here again in free, <laughs> in free fiat land. So that's influencing it. But I, I understand it's probably a temporary high. We're still in a down year in the four year cycle. It's gonna be like 2019. Back in 2019, when things were improving from 2018, just like they're improving from last year now, um, we had some crazy spikes, like when Facebook was talking about their own cryptocurrency. But then we went down too, so there are going to be some ups and downs. But sooner or later, we're going to realize we this bear market is going to be officially gone when we get to about thirty four, what thirty two thousand, when we double the low of the bear market. That's when you, you, the bull market will start again. Um, but some people won't realize it then. They're like, nah, the cycle isn't repeat, dudes. The cycle keeps repeating. I've been, I've, I was here in 2013. So this is just like, this is just like 2015. This is just like 2019. They rhyme. Sure, they're different things. Um, it's, it's, it's a much cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, much larger scale now. Everybody's talking about it. Back, it's a pleasure to compare it to 2015 and 19 when no one, no one knew about it in 2015 at all. So I, I'm, I'm just a positive person. And I, the one thing is, Yes, price of Bitcoin is going up. Price of stocks are going up. Don't get fooled. Don't, don't make the same mistake again and, and stick yourself in the fiat world. This is your time to jump back into Bitcoin. Fiat isn't magically improving. The, the macro people who play in fiat are jumping into Bitcoin. Uh, they'll jump out again. Don't, don't, don't think about the macro environment. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. And it's on a trajectory. It doesn't care about macro and bank and bank bailouts and all that stuff. But don't you shouldn't be playing in the realm uh, of the bank bailouts. That's that's very unpredictable. You don't know uh, when, when on a whim what some guy at the Federal Reserve or in the government is going to. You don't want to be at the mercy of a whim of man. You want to be uh, you know, relying on the reliability of numbers, which is big. <laughs> I would say this too. Uh, maybe you know. Maybe we can get past a little bit past uh, short, store your private keys on uh, metal plates. That may help with adoption a little bit. That's just my message for the day. Um, I've been in a bunch of chats today where people were defending the uh, metal plates that you tap tap your private your uh, public your key your seed phrase into, uh, and I know. Lots of Bitcoin maxis, the OGs, they love that. But if we want to onboard the next several million people into Bitcoin, we need to come up with solutions that are better than metal plates. Just, just my word of advice. Great to see the two Adams there, Adam McBride and, of course, Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister on the Bitcoin group number 350 uh, from March 17th of 2023. Now, We've tried to do these shows every single week uh, for a long time now, for 10 years, I guess. Uh, sometimes we missed a few weeks. Sometimes uh, I was traveling or out of town or just not feeling it. 
Uh, but generally, we've been here every week. You can check out all the shows on the worldcryptonetwork.com. Uh, shout out to some of the people that didn't get mentioned. Uh, shout out to Victoria. Uh, she's been on a lot of our recent shows. A shout out to MK Lords, Chris Ellis, uh, the Bitcoin uh, Ugly Old Goat. Uh, just so many great panelists over the years. Of course, Tone Vase, Gabriel Devine, uh, Davi Barker, Derek Freeman. Uh, so many great friends who've helped out with the show. Uh, just thanks to everybody keeping it going. Uh, the couple of guys in the chat said they donated for sound equipment. Thanks to everybody who's donated to our, our various and uh, sadly many Bitcoin fundraisers over the years. Uh, I definitely did spend the money on sound equipment, and uh, I think we got it going pretty good these days, uh, which is great. But also the technology improved as well. I've got this really great Rodecaster board here, uh, Rodecaster 2 even. Uh, but there are a lot of Bitcoin group podcasts going back. And remember, if you want to do your own day in history, you can always go out to worldcryptonetwork.com and check out what we were doing on this day. Thanks to DJ Booth for creating the website. On this day in 2013, we launched the first Bitcoin group episode over on the Mad Bitcoins channel. Also did a Mad Bitcoins episode about Silk Road precedent against self-incrimination. Uh, the next year in 2014, Chris Ellis went to a developer event and learning Ethereum. Uh, looks like Vitalik might have been there or it could be a different one. In 2015, Theo Goodman brought you transmission number 51, talking about Expanse, smart contracts, and the Ethereum fork. In 2017, we had Today in Bitcoin news podcast talking about Bitcoin mobile. In 2018, we were live from HCPP 2018, uh, having an interview with Yana from Blockchain Talks. In 2021, we had the Bitcoin group number seven, uh, which was a re-air. Uh, the original episodes did not air on the World Crypto Network, so I had to republish them, and that's when I republished them. So you can always check this out at onthisday at worldcryptonetwork.com. Thanks to everybody for watching, giving us a thumbs up, saying hello in the chat, uh, saying hi in the comments later, uh, recommending the show, tweeting about the show. Uh, you've really made the show possible. We couldn't have done it without you. Uh, it's always been about the chat and the interaction and that you guys like the show. Uh, as I've said from the beginning, the show is, is kind of a copy and homage to the McLaughlin group where they had people from different sides of the political spectrum and they'd argue with each other but remain friends at the end. And I think we've been able to do that even as we disagreed over political issues, disagreed over COVID, and even disagreed over small blocks versus big blocks, Bitcoin technology, mining, layer two, lightning, a UASF. We've talked about it all on the Bitcoin group, and it's been an honor to join you over these last 10 years. And I hope we can keep it going for maybe another 10 years. I think we've just scratched the surface of this Bitcoin technology. I think we still need a weekly roundup show, and that's what the Bitcoin group is. Every week at the end of the week, when all the news is over, especially the big news that they always seem to dump on Fridays because no one reads the news on Fridays. We always try to do our show on Friday so we can get that news, put it at the top of the list, discuss it, have you guys discuss it in the chat and the comments. Everyone gets their say here. And uh, that's the show. That's what we try to do. Uh, so thanks for joining us on this clip show, on this journey through Bitcoin group history. 
And uh, just again, I was going to talk about the uh, introduction to the show. Let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, where'd it go? <laughs> uh, it's, it's disappeared now. But the introduction is, of course, uh, based on the McLaughlin Group uh, introduction, which was uh, for over three decades, the hardest political talk, the best sources, the hardest talk. And uh, I always remember the McLaughlin Group one, and I always wanted my own version. Uh, so I took the McLaughlin Group one and edited it just a little bit uh, for mine. It was over the last 10 seconds uh, because I was trying to show how opposed to McLaughlin Group with his 35 years of experience, uh, we were relatively inexperienced. Uh, instead of having the you know best sources or the you know sharpest minds. I think it's the sharpest minds, the best sources, the hardest talk. We had the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. So very much an homage to the McLaughlin Group. And one more time before we end this 10th anniversary show, the Bitcoin Group, the American original, for over the last 10 years, the sharpest Satoshis, the best Bitcoins, the hardest cryptocurrency talk. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye-bye.